0: Welcome to The Intersection Podcast. I'm Emily Howard and in this podcast we're talking feminism and the future. Coming up, I'll be chatting with Margot and Olga, board members of the Gronian Feminist Network, about the future of the feminist movement. GFN member Max, who considers himself a part of the European radical left, will share his views on how feminism can progress in our current society. Later on in our studio session, we head to Arts and Entertainment, where Manu and Caitlin, students of arts, culture and media at the University of Groningen, chat about feminism in music and media. But now let's start off by hearing from Dr. Petra Bromans, chair of the board of the Gender Studies Centre here at the University of Groningen. I asked Dr. Bromans about why she feels that the centre is important.
1: There is a lot of gender in academia, and uh, we are working also together with the U4 team group Gender, with the universities of Uppsala, Kuttingen, Kent, Groningen. But we have a long history of of rise and decline, and and we had really to struggle to survive because it would be a little bit silly that the U4, a very prestigious collaboration with three very famous university, that we couldn't offer some kind of gender in our teaching program. So, of course, there were many uh, staff members who did gender, Uh, some of them did a lot, but I think you have also to be visible. And that's why I think the center of gender studies is very good for the visibility of gender within the academia. And I think it would qualify our university to be also competitive and comparable with other prestigious universities in the world. When we don't have any gender programme, also in teaching, I think we can't compare ourselves with the most prestigious universities in the world. So
0: a big part of what the Gender Studies Centre is grounded on here is feminist theory. Do you think we'll ever reach a stage where feminist theory is no longer relevant to academia?
1: Oh, it will never be irrelevant because... Feminism is also exploring and developing itself. And a few years ago, I thought students weren't interested in feminism, but suddenly, also male students uh, wanted to write an essay about women's studies or images of women in the Kalevala and Finnish. (laughs) So I'm I'm quite happy to say that I'm very positive about the future of feminism uh, within academia. Though there are always threats, of course, Mm -hmm. politics, uh, environment, uh, male colleagues and so on and so on. Dr Bromans
0: told me about how the Gender Studies Centre aims to continue its work in the future, through its minor programme and also a new master's programme.
1: First of all we have to get this minor a university minor program in gender and diversity studies, because it's not anymore only gender, but also diversity and intersexuality in this changing world, and a visible center of gender studies, so that staff members, researchers, PhD students, also students uh, become aware of there is something like gender. And it is um, also uh, a way of, Um, doing research and also uh, of course also a way of how you are looking at the world at your own environment so I think gender studies um, in that way also has to be also within academia also be a part of the the society so and this is what they all always also want uh, not only um, uh, doing research within the, the the uh, university borders, but also outside, to, to, to um, uh, come with summer courses or festivals. That is also for the uh, common public, and that is very relevant, I think so.
0: Speaking about the accessibility of feminism in the wider public, I grabbed a coffee with Margot and Olga, board members of the Groningen Feminist Network, who share their opinions on how feminism can be made more accessible. I asked them how the Gronium Feminist Network came about.
2: Well, the idea is, um, a friend of ours set it up as a place where you could meet people in a completely non-judgmental way and know that people felt the same way about things that you do. Like, I think Malva once said, um, what's nice about going to the Gronium Feminist Network is not that you can talk about these things because you always can, but that you don't have to explain the basics anymore. So you don't have to keep explaining yourself because mm-hmm. you know that everybody there is at a certain
3: level of being similar to you. Although on that note, it is important to note that not everyone is on the same level no, in terms no, of theoretical of course, things. No. That's yeah, so I think one of the challenges that's facing us right now is how to be able to like manage that sort of thing when you've got people uh, who are very you know very uh, entrenched in like the really, like, highly theoretical knowledge of things. And I people are just manner.
2: just starting out, finding yeah. feminism, learning about the issues, learning about the... Even just the vocabulary. Mm-hmm. You don't want to alienate, alienate those people. Exactly, you know? because those are exactly the people that we eventually want to focus on, that we can educate in a, in a way that's a really low threshold, because going to a lecture or... Even choosing gender studies as yes, your—that's—that's that's a high threshold kind of thing—and going to one of our meetings just should be a casual, low threshold, easy way to learn something about feminism and to learn
3: something about activism and about gender and sexuality issues. Um, yeah, it's kind of like how do you get this information out into the into the open? Um, because, for example, if you you want to start, I guess, as young as possible when you, your minds are open and so you want to like maybe see if we can like go into high schools or even into primary schools, talk about, you know, basic consent, try to make sex ed more um, accessible and open and uh, yeah, <coughs> inclusive. Um. So it's, what, what we're
2: trying to do now is find ways to reach people who need it more. So we're looking into seeing if we can do something in the Kai week, which is obviously for all students, so it would be really inclusive. Just so we can have the biggest reach as possible to get to also to the people who might not know they need us.
0: Part of becoming more accessible lies in intersectionality, a subject which Dr. Bromans briefly mentioned and that Margot and Olcha believe is important for the network.
3: Um, I think one of the main things that we talk about is intersectionality and how we can sort of involve everyone in our feminism, you know, regardless, or not really regardless of, but invol- looking at their, how their feminism intersects with other struggles they face, so uh, in terms of like race or class or education or ability, and um, how we can, yeah, take these people also into our movement and, you know, not speak over them.
0: GFN member Max considers himself a part of the radical left, I chatted to him about intersectionality and how we can make that achievable in our current society.
4: I think that the feminist movement—I mean, there's already changes happening—but I think in generally we need to be more aware um, about intersectionality. Well, what that means really is that we get more actively aware of how oppression works and how it intersects, and how you know minority groups are hit from or, or being oppressed from several different sides at the same time, right? How they, these like roads of oppression basically cross and we need to more actively engage and build spaces and build communities and alternatives for um, marginalised groups like people of colour women of colour, people of trans experience you know but also I think what's really important is that we in intersectionality also keep in mind the the class component and we consider the struggles of the working class and of working class women more often and more openly because I think in the past some parts of the feminist movements have really neglected to talk about this
0: And how do you think that the feminist movement in achieving this can work with our existing society or possibly challenge our existing society.
4: Yeah, I think that the feminist movement in general needs to be more consciously anti-capitalist because I think capitalism is something that's responsible for a lot of the oppressions that all of us face and kind of unites us all in in many of our oppressions. I mean, I'm not saying that it's all about capitalism and all about class. You know, I don't want to reduce all oppression to class, but I think that capitalism reinforces uh, white supremacy and reinforces and creates gendered binaries and it reinforces and creates sexism and rape culture and so on and so forth. And all of these things need to be tackled, but they need to be tackled and addressed in, in the context of capitalism. And without addressing capitalism, all of our criticism will, will be useless because it will never fundamentally challenge the existing systems. Like In this I would also like to address that in us or in the feminist movement being more anti-capitalist we should also aim to fight some of the symptoms of neoliberal capitalism that is like neocolonialism and neo-imperialism that oppresses so many people and so many minorities worldwide and in, in our societies and we really need to decolonize our own movement and our own theories and approaches because many of them are extremely uh, Eurocentric and we need to really critically evaluate them to make it more accessible for more people basically and for more minorities because like if we kind of see all of the minorities as separate entities I mean they all have their separate struggles and I don't want to like make it into one big blurry mess but there is I think enormous power behind the possibility of uniting more minorities and making them work together in achieving equality for all people. You know, realizing the fact that a a better world is possible and a different world is possible.
0: Do you think um, global feminism is a possibility then?
4: (laughs) That's a hard question because I don't want to propose that there is this one singular solution for every person oppressed by kind of the heteronormative patriarchy everywhere on the planet because I don't really think that that is a case right we need to in intersectional feminism we need to be aware of the differences that we have as well right people of privilege need to provide and help and aid space and time and help with our privilege um, to those that are underprivileged and we cannot just kind of assume that you know liberation of european cultures or, or like strategies of liberation for european cultures also apply to all other cultures, you know, in South America and Asia and Africa. There is are very um, different systems, I mean, different but also similar systems of oppression. But, you know, I think the differences matter and we need to understand that the people that are actually living in these systems usually understand them the best and we need to support them, but we need to listen to them. We can't just enforce our strategies and our views on um, how liberation is achieved on them
0: do you think feminism will ever be fully realized and then therefore
4: become obsolete <laughs> well <laughs> that's a very hard question yes i hope so one of the quotes that pops in my mind right now is by Che Guevara and he said let's be realistic demand the impossible and i i'm aware of the, the problematic Personality of Che Guevara. But I think this quote is still very, very important, very interesting because I think the question whether it's actually achievable, any form of activism has always like, you know, has to deal with this question. Is what you demand really fully achievable? And the question really doesn't matter because, you know, to have this kind of utopian goal in mind is what really drives us forward and what keeps us going further and further and further. And, you know, the closer we get, the further it will move away. But that that's just what keeps us going. So I, I hope that one day we can move beyond so many of the categories that we and, you know, capitalism has laid on our lives. Yeah, I think me believing that we can achieve a world in which feminism is obsolete is helpful to me. So So I choose to believe that, yes.
0: I don't know what I think. I kind of think that even if what we see as feminism now does become realized in terms of equality between genders, Mm -hmm. there's going to be some other inequalities, maybe in different forms, which still prevail. And in which case, feminism, I think, might change its name or might change its appearance, but it will still be the same. It'll still be about fighting for equality. It might just be in a different body.
4: Yeah, yeah, I think I agree with that, especially and like, considering this notion that a lot of people have and a lot of privileged women have as well, that, like, oh, we've kind of, especially here in the Netherlands, we hear it again and again, that, like, we've moved beyond, kind of, you know, sexism and we're we're all fine. And, you know, even if that would be the case, I think there is still so much that feminism can do for, you know, people that don't necessarily fit into the gender binary or, uh, you know, for, for people of colour and women of colour and, and so many other oppressed groups that don't feel like their, their equality has been achieved. I think there's lots more to do.
0: Looking to the future, the Groningen Feminist Network certainly plans to do a lot, with ideas for campaigns, outreach, and media tactics already underway. But it's important to remember how far they've already come.
2: Yeah, and no, I remember the very first meeting where we sat on somebody's bedroom floor, and there was like six of us, and we were just kind of basically dreaming about what, what could be and what we would like to achieve. And then if, like, I see yesterday's meeting where so many people show up, people I didn't even know a couple months ago, and everybody's so passionate and so tight-knit in a way, it's really, it's really nice, it's really good. And it's also,
3: like, giving us the opportunity to really become official. Yesterday we handed out our first uh, sign-up sheets. That's what
2: most beautiful is that we're growing and we're becoming bigger but the feeling of it still just being a tiny little family we still have that
0: the groaning and feminist network meet every wednesday at 9 p.m and you can find them on facebook now we turn to feminism in culture next up is our studio session with manu and caitlin Hello and welcome. I'm here with Caitlin and Manu. Both of them do the BA in arts, culture and media. How do you see feminism reflected in today's culture?
5: Well, I think there's a lot of popular cultural things going on uh, at the moment. For instance, if you think for of Beyonce with the Ultimum album that she uh, published and her tour, she had like a feminist written like hugely as advertisement in every single uh, concert that she gave during her tour. So um, I think there's a lot of movements in popular culture that are like, yeah, making use of feminism, maybe even fantasizing a bit about it and turning it into something that it shouldn't be.
6: I also think there's a lot more visibility these days when it comes to feminism in culture, especially like like Manuel was saying in in
0: music. Would you say that it's sort of a a mainstream or washed down version of feminism that we see in culture at the moment, though?
6: Oh, well... Washed down, yes, but at the same time, it's kind of like a stepping stone, kind of like, I think it can function well as a kind of an introduction into something if you're not maybe aware of it or, but yeah, definitely washed down.
5: I think there's a lot of potential as well. Well, I, I do see that especially like white feminism is a, is a big thing at the moment. But I think there's a lot of potential of getting people involved into politics and into feminist discussions, especially if you think of like memes that have the word woke, for instance. There's like this um, pushing uh, tendency to people to, to be woke in that sense.
0: Sure. So how do you expect that this kind of movement, if you can call it that, uh, will continue?
5: Well, I think me and Caitlin had once a, a, a discussion about um, Lamar What's his name?
0: Oh, Kendrick
6: Lamar.
5: Kendrick Lamar, Mm. um, who was, well, time-wise, together with um, Beyoncé, emphasized a lot of the Black Lives Matter movement. And they had a a big momentum that definitely could have been used to to create some sort of, like, real-life action movement that would uh, maybe even uh, get some political actions done, especially in the Flint water crisis um, era. (laughs) They could have built this momentum and, and make like political action out of it. And I think the same can be done with feminism and pop culture. But I'm just, I'm I'm very afraid of uh, corporate power in it. Because, for instance, if you have um, Google, they do some pinkwashing on on their brand. And I'm afraid of them making just more capitalistic use out of it instead of working against capitalism in an intersectional way.
0: The word intersectionality has been mentioned a lot. Um, And I'm wondering how you think or how representative you think uh, mainstream culture is of the di- diverse intersections within feminism?
6: Well, I think there still needs to be a lot more diversity, but I think it's definitely getting better. But, yeah, there's still a very long way to go, I think.
5: I think it also has to do a lot with narratives. And if you think... I, I, I'm i sorry I use Beyonce so much, but uh, I like to use this um, example because she is very um, aware of... Um, racial issues in the U.S. and also um, well, feminist issues. Uh, I think that, for instance, the issue of class is only used f- as, as a tool for her. It's, it's like um, class for her is um, a way of creating the narrative of the self-made person. Um, so, for instance, if we think of uh, Countdown. No, it's not Countdown. Well, in any case, uh, the music video has snippets of her as a, as a poor uh, child who's trying to get into the music business and then is challenged by or does not win because a male band um, is also present and they uh, impress the jury much more than her female band and uh, the narrative that is constructed is that well uh, if I can make it from the lower class to the upper class then so can you and I think that's a very um, a very dangerous narrative and so for that reason I think that we need to within popular culture um, we need to uh, have intersectionality the priority number one so that we can also include those who are oppressed not by gender or um, religion but also by class.
0: And in terms of um, pure demographics, uh, the statistics showing you know the amount of uh, women or women of color, trans people or people from the global south you know within mainstream culture at the moment, how do you think that's going to progress?
5: Well, if you think, for instance, of MIA, she is has been um, very loud about um, political issues and not just like uh, feminist issues or um, class issues. But she's also been talking a lot about, um, for instance, the M- Middle Eastern and the image the West has about the Middle East and especially uh, the image they have about um, w- women in the middle middle east and um i think there's definitely some p- potential to you know recycle certain ideas in popular music like uh the protest song
6: yeah um especially within hip-hop these days i think uh, hip-hop's becoming a an important site again well hip-hop's always been political but even more so these days with the likes of kendrick lamar for example in to pimp a butterfly and good kid mad city they're uh Two very strong albums that are very political, politically orientated, and yeah, it kind of it's kind of showing this new era of protest song where, through the medium of music, I mean, not only is it a form of entertainment, but it's also a really important uh, well, space in a way to convey narratives and ideas and
0: ideals and yeah. Um, do you think, in terms of feminism within culture, it kind of needs to challenge our society?
5: Well I think definitely you have we we are living in a society that is very discriminatory and you definitely need to have some type of critical attitude with which you you assess every aspect of culture every time otherwise you're just yeah you're just watering down the movement
6: I definitely think there needs to be some sort of challenge in order to well not only bring awareness to things but to kind of like implement change because if there's no challenge if nothing's challenged then everything will stay the same
0: so do you think listeners or, or, or yeah, consumers of uh, music and uh, performative art culture are aware of these sort of discourses happening within the field?
6: Oh, definitely. I think especially of Kendrick Lamar, like there's, there's so many like Reddit posts and articles just kind of like dissecting the album and, you know, what he means and what he's making reference to. So there's definitely an, like an awareness. It's not going unnoticed.
0: And also, in, in terms of the side of the industry itself, do you think there are more um, record labels or funding options available now for people who um, were or have been kind of neglect- neglected by the music industry?
5: I think that's a very critical question because um, I think, in the long term, uh, artists have to make use of the uh, new technologies that we have. They have a very great potential of democratizing the indus- industry in the term that, in the sense that they um, get. To have an outlet uh, and share their ideas without having to go through the filters of the industry, and um, definitely there's a lot of potential there. But at the same time, we have to be um, very aware of power structures within this democratized um, media landscape. We have still a capitalistic system in which um, the owners of the of the means of, you know, exhibiting your ideas, they they still get to choose what gets exhibited and what does not. And I think in that sense, we have to look back into punk and uh, go back to this DIY aesthetics of, um, you know, if it's not professional, then it's fine enough because it's the idea that matters.
6: I actually think record labels are becoming a, a lot less important and it's more about like self production and self promotion these days. I mean, I think that can be seen with like YouTube and stuff as well, but also the DIY thing that, that Manu was saying. I think that's that's quite important as well because you have all these out like outlets for for like expression and stuff, but they're still very like strongly gate kept. But if you have like a more kind of like self done DIY thing, then you can choose you know what is shown, what is said, what is seen, whereas someone else deciding what's going to be seen, what's not going to be seen.
0: I wanted to talk about accessibility. So um, so I'm just wondering, in terms of sort of wider culture, in terms of entertainment, media, etc., whether you think this is a good platform to make feminism more accessible.
5: It has to be like a, a development from both sides. Um, on the one hand, yes, popular culture has to be more aware of certain social issues. Uh, by the way, I just remembered the name of the song I wanted to mention of Beyonce, Flawless. I think that flawless, for instance, is not enough in terms of Educating the public in a certain sense—it's yes—it's about the idea of being, um, you, you know, you wake up and you're flawless. It's about accepting yourself. But uh, what is the justification behind this? And what is what are some some? Why is it important to wake up and feel flawless? Um, you know, there's a little bit missing about you know, it's not—it shouldn't be just the surface, but there has to be some substance behind this. And uh, on the other hand, academics need to step down from their. Um, intellectual cloud and come down to to the general public and and you know in, in a certain way i think academia has to be popularized and uh, there's this great scholar that i love uh, her name is robin james and um if you follow her and uh, i'm sorry
6: <laughs> hashtag robin james on instagram
5: <laughs> no if you follow robin james on instagram um, on twitter Um, It's a lot about, you know, those highly intellectual and highly theoretical philosophical issues that she brings down in, how many characters are they? Um, 140. 140 characters. And it's it's just amazing to, to have an intersectional academic voice on popular issues. And I think that's the way to go, especially for media scholars.
6: I've also noticed I spend some time on Tumblr sometimes and um, I've noticed there's like a uh, like an interesting kind of like online kind of zine Tumblr revival thing going on where there's all like these art collectives that are making online zines and like self-promoting self-publishing them and getting the funding for them online and I think that's a really great source of accessible feminism not only in the content but also in what Like, they're providing.
0: Um, Do you think that we'll ever get to a point where the feminist cause will be unnecessary and we'll be able to say, in terms of the field of, like, culture and entertainment as well as in everything else, that, you know, um, we have the perfect representation or the perfect equality, if you want to call it that? I don't think so.
6: Not in our lifetime, anyway.
5: No, um... When Marx was writing his Communist Manifesto, he thought that um, within 50 years or so, capitalism would be overthrown. And this was in the late 18th century, uh, 19th century. So uh, obviously something went wrong there. And um, Marxism is here to stay, more or less, and so is feminism. I think feminism is... It has its goals and it has its purpose, but um, as long as there's mass culture, there will always be some, some issue of representation and some fetishization of people. And, um, well, I think social movements are are there to stay, really.
6: Yeah, and I, I don't think there'll ever be any sort of form of, like, perfect representation, but when it comes to the media, what's interesting is not only does it, like, it represents things, but, like, it mirrors things, and it can it can project false ideals real ideals and i think it has a lot of potential to to change a lot of things but i don't think it will ever be a perfect representation of any sorts it's always going to be distorted no matter even like no matter how close you get to like the perfect representation it's always going to be a distortion of some kind
0: Well, there you have it, the future of feminism. Thanks to all of our speakers, Dr. Bromance, Margot, Olga, Max, Caitlin, and Manny. Keep an eye out for the next podcast, courtesy of Growing and Feminist Network. And don't forget to check out zeitfirst.wordpress.com.